Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back to the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining us once again. I can't thank you guys enough for tuning in week after week. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen and Wasatch Recovery and Veracity Networks. I can't thank you guys enough for believing in me. And I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in week after week. We are, we're blowing up, we're trending, and it's uh, been an amazing ride. We're helping a lot of people. And today's no different um, because we, it's because of the guests that I have on who come, on, come in and share amazing stories uh, about uh, their lives. And today we have uh, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. Thank you for joining us, Jeff. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. You bet, man. I'm so honored to have you on. We have a mutual friend. We're uh, now uh, Jeffrey Olson, Jeff Olson, who uh, had a near-death experience, and he uh, came here on my podcast, but then he also came here to Wasatch and spoke to our residents, and it was just fen- phenomenal. And when we were done, the first thing he says is, you got to get Jeff on your podcast. And you were the doctor that helped him um, when he went through that horrific accident. And you are an amazing person because I've done a lot of studying on you since I talked with with Jeff about you. And uh, so I'm just grateful to have you come on and share your story, which um, I think people are going to just be fascinated at because you have these spiritual gifts that you're going to talk about. And and, um, I want to give a little background on you, though, before we get started. You are the author of the book, Not Yet, Near Life Experiences and Lessons Learned. It was the best of state in 2018, and I've got it here, and it's a, it's a great book. You spent 25 years as an emergency physician, which is basically a level one trauma, right? Uh, which you've seen everything. I mean, you talked about, you saw someone who got stepped on by an elephant, I think attacked by a lion, <laughs> things like that. Um, You've cared over for over 60,000 patients in that time frame. That, that just blows my mind. Um, you're a spiritual mentor. You're a speaker. You're an artist. And probably what you call yourself the most right now is a healer. And you say you exist to, to help souls heal. And so I want to get into that as well. And you've had quite the life. And so, Jeff, thank you for joining us today. It's good to be here. I have <laughs> had a good life. Yeah. So why don't we start off, why don't you just tell our listeners, you know, where where you grew up and a little bit about your family life and childhood. I I was born in California and uh, lived there the first few years of my life. Then my father was transferred to the East Coast and we moved to New Jersey and I lived there for a few years. And then my parents were a bit homesick, I think, and they uh, wanted to move home. They grew up in rural Utah and moved home to Morgan, Utah, which is where I grew up. That's where I went to school. That's where I uh, rode bowls when I was uh, doing rodeos. And really? uh, my parents still live in Morgan, Utah. Beautiful place. Rodeo, huh? How was that? <laughs> it was. It was good. It was. Uh, it, it gets your adrenaline flowing. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, so, how were you as a kid? Were you, you know, just were you like a very adventurous kid, or were you like? 
You know, what what type of things were you really into? I mean, obviously rodeo, that's a very adventurous thing and <laughs> Yeah, we did we had lots of adventures. Uh, I had two older brothers and uh uh we were close. We did a lot of things together. We'd hike and camp together and uh go hunting. Uh uh I was really close to my oldest brother. He I, I looked up to him. I believed everything he ever told me until one day he tried to tell me about sex when I was about <laughs> ten years old. <laughs> and I said, No way. <laughs> he laughed. He said, Yeah, it's true. And we didn't talk about that anymore. And and then uh, as you know in my book, uh, about a year later, just a month before my twelfth birthday. Uh, my older brother Stan was uh, killed in a farm accident when he tipped a tractor over, mm. and that kind of changed uh, the trajectory of my childhood and my life. I didn't really appreciate that it changed things much until almost 20 years later when my deceased brother Stan came to me, and he, I saw him, and he spoke to me, and he said, you have to go talk with our mother because there's things she's never told you about my death. Yeah. And that got my attention, as you might imagine. Oh, yeah. And and this is what's really fascinating about you and your story is that you have these experiences and you've had many of these experiences, not just with your brother, but in the ER. And we're going to talk about that. But I, if I remember right, you when you went back and did talk to your mom, she said, you used to sing and now you're not singing anymore. She said, I always knew where you were in the house before your brother died because I could hear you singing. And when Stan died, you stopped singing. And that was the first time I realized that his death had had a real impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. So what, when she told you that, did you, did you start recognizing, well, maybe I need to start singing or did you realize more, Hey, this is hurting me more than I thought. I, I realized that it impacted me more deeply than I had previously realized. And what was interesting was uh, uh, it was about that time that a friend of mine built this big, beautiful home. And she had a lot of money, and she apparently was comfortable with a large mortgage. But when I went and saw her <laughs> home, I thought, wow, this is really nice. I'd like to have a house like this. And then I, I caught myself saying, no, no, I don't want a house like this. I don't want anything in my life that I care enough about that it can hurt me if it's gone. Mm. And I remember, th wow. and that included people. I thought, I right. don't want anybody in my life that yeah. can hurt me when they leave. And I remember one day realizing, I thought, oh, that's not normal. And I think I had a measure of attachment disorder because of my brother's death. For sure. And I built this big wall around my heart, and I wasn't willing to be hurt again. And it was then that I started to realize, wait a minute, you can protect yourself, but in so doing, you prevent yourself from loving or receiving love because love's about being vulnerable. Yeah. Wow. Very well said. That vulnerability piece is a big one. You know, you and I were talking before we, you know, came on air here about, you know, I work with clients who are in addiction and recovery and trying to work through all that. And one of the things I see all the time is they, they've closed off. They're not vulnerable anymore because just like you said, they've been hurt and they thought, why would I put myself out there again to be hurt? But what you're saying is if we don't, you're not going to experience love again on a level that we need to. Is that correct? That's what I learned. Yes. Um, I, when I first started to take down this wall and started to uh, uh, be vulnerable again, I remember I had a close friend and, and we connected someplace and 
I remember her, we greeted one another and she, she said, Oh, Jeff, you're making progress. You gave me a side hug. (laughs) (laughs) And we, I was moving toward this realization that, you know, you can, uh, you can love your friends. Love isn't, love isn't a word to reserve for special occasions and special people. Mm. It was okay to love people. It was hard for me to even say, I love you to my wife for many years. And, and so when I finally got healed, I, I could uh, say that more comfortably to her and my kids and other people. Wow. Well, you know, jump. I was going to talk about this anyways, but since we're here in your book, not yet, um, you talk about how you, you, you're referencing Jeff Olson and you talk about how he's, he's so easily compassionate and feel, feels compassionate. And you, you, you get vulnerable in the book and you say, I've really struggled with that. It's been harder for me to experience compassion. And I think you even said you, you'd never really fully experienced that until you had your own kids. Talk about that for a, little, for a minute. Yes, I, <clears throat> I, I learned and felt <clears throat> excuse me, much more about love and compassion uh, when I had children. Yeah. Um, it, it came more easily. It came more naturally to love someone else more than myself to care more about their welfare than my own and uh, I now have grandchildren and that accentuates it even more absolutely I want to if it's okay I want to read a part about what you say about grandchildren is that okay yes this is from from your book it says in my grandchildren I see perfection personified and not in a syrupy, sentimental, grandparent sort of way. I mean it literally. I see human beings incapable of doing wrong. They may break a dish, spill a drink, or um, be ornery or temperamental or write on the wall with a crown, but they are merely learning. They can't actually do something wrong because they don't have the capacity in their in their young, innocent lives to do so. Yeah, I, I, I truly experience that. And I think uh, I go on to say that I believe that's the way the divine views us. While we're beating ourselves up and judging each other for the things we think we're doing that are wrong, I think there's a compassionate presence in heaven that looks down on us and says, oh, you're just learning. Give yourself a break. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is so common. It's so common that we think that we're letting some higher being, a God or a higher power, whatever people believe, that I'm letting them down because of the way I'm living. And, and like you said, the way you viewed your grandchild, you're not, they're not doing something wrong because they, they wrote on the wall, yeah. right? Yeah. I was pondering one day about my own divine nature because I believe that all souls are divine. And uh, in the context of that, I was contemplating some ancient texts that suggest that God is intolerant of sin and uh, can't stand to be in the presence of sinners mm-hmm. uh, and in the midst of contemplating these those two concepts at the same time a voice spoke to me and said the God that is intolerant of sin is you oh that's deep that was powerful dang so did when you read that what how how did that impact you well it helped me to realize how much we 
impose our prejudices and our biases on what we perceive to be a divine being. And then we blame that same divine being or use that divine presence as a justification for our prejudices and our biases that we've imposed upon them. Uh, it's, It's a vicious circle. Wow. Yeah, and I think that's, do you see that pretty common with the people you meet and teach and mentor? And do you see that that's a, a kind of a common theme of what they struggle with? Yes, I, I, I have studied a lot of religions and faith traditions. I, I've, I've read the Bhagavad Gita, which is a sacred text of Hindus. Yeah. I've studied the Quran. I learned Hebrew to study the Torah so I could understand wow. it better. I studied yeah. some Greek for the New Testament, but I didn't get very far with my Greek. Uh, <laughs> so I, I've read and studied a lot of these things, and the Western Judeo-Christian traditions really impose a great deal of guilt and insecurity uh, yeah. upon its adherents, and uh, sometimes it's to our great detriment, and I think it damages our relationship with the divine. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's very common too because I hear that a lot with my clients where they, you know, I've let my family down because of the, you know, this is the religion they belong to and now I'm not, you know, living up to those ideals and what they do is they go blow up their lives. I've seen it so many times with drugs and alcohol or, you know, whatever it may be and they feel sad and depressed and it's really hard to watch that, right? It is hard to watch it, and and in your line of work, you'll you'll appreciate this. I had one friend, in fact, I think I mentioned him in the book. Uh, he had a a great life. He married, kids, professional career, everything was going wonderful. He made a wrong step, and he was so overwhelmed with guilt for years about what happened and the direction it took. And then one day, he hurt his knee skiing, and he was prescribed a narcotic analgesic. Mm-hmm. A pain mm, pill. Yeah. And he said the first time he took the pill was the first time in a decade that he didn't feel guilty about himself, that he didn't hate himself. Wow. And of course, he became addicted to it, which yeah. led to a whole new set of problems in his life. But yeah, guilt does not serve us. We, we need to learn to let go of guilt and shame. Yeah. Yeah, that is, those are two big ones I hear often, and I couldn't agree more. You know, and we, uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about, uh, Jeff. <laughs> um, so let's go back a little bit. Uh, you know, you lost your brother, you know, and you, you realize later how what a profound impact that had on you. As, you. as you were going through your life, you know, before you became the doctor, were you having these experiences? Did you know that you had these spiritual gifts that you could see things or hear things that other people may, couldn't, may, may not be aware of? Did you notice that as you were growing up? Yes, but it was kind of slow. It crept up on me in such a way as that it felt normal and natural. I just assumed everybody had it. Okay. I remember driving a car when I was 16 years old. I was in a Volkswagen Bug with two friends of mine, none of us wearing seatbelts. We were going much too fast on a narrow, windy country road after dark. We were probably going as fast as the car would go. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, a voice spoke to me and said, you have to slow down. And for some reason I listened and I slowed down. I went around the corner, hit a Cadillac head on. There was a lot of damage to the vehicles, but nobody was injured. And in retrospect, 
speaking as an emergency physician, yeah, I think I might have died that night if I hadn't have heard that voice and listened to it. And in yeah. retrospect, I wondered about the voice. Who was the voice? Because I was in a really rebellious time of my life. I wouldn't have listened to my parents or <laughs> right. to law enforcement. And I've <laughs> joked that if God had been sitting in the seat next to me, I wouldn't have listened to him. <laughs> yeah. But I listened to that voice. Mm -hmm. And I came to realize that it was my brother. That was the only voice I would have listened to. And it just wrapped mm. itself around my soul. And I experienced it. And I, and I slowed down. And then a few years later, I'd had enough of these experiences that I approached somebody that I trusted that was a few years older than I was. And she was, she seemed very insightful and without giving her any context at all for my question, using the language available to me as a teenager at the time, I just said, does God ever speak to you in sentences? Mm. And she just looked at me with these very knowing eyes and she kind of pointed her finger at me and said, don't ever doubt that. Mm. That was all she said. Right. And it proved to be good advice. Uh, sure. As the years went by, sometimes I started to see the messenger that was that was speaking the words to me. And so by the time I got to the ER, it was something that happened often and, and it was comfortable to me. Yeah. Well, obviously being a, an emergency physician, that's a pretty intense job. That is not for the faint in heart, right? Some days are, are pretty intense, yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine uh, what that would be like. So let's talk a little bit about that, Jeff. You, you spent 25 years, and that's a long time. Like we said, you cared for over 60,000 patients in that time frame. Share some of these experiences that you've had that where you would see, you know, you, see, you would actually see souls leaving the body. And, it, you know, in the, even if we talk about Jeff Olson's experience and in, in, in Tamara, right? Right. Um, so if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those experiences and then also your experience with Tamara, that, that would be amazing for our listeners to hear this. I walked into work one day and I, I was logging onto the computer when I felt this spiritual presence over my shoulder. Um, I, I'd had enough experiences by then that I intuitively knew what was going on. And I realized that the person over my shoulder was actually the one around the corner in the next room that a team was trying to resuscitate. Mm, wow. She was unconscious, she was intubated and being ventilated. Uh, they were doing chest compressions. Uh, and I stopped what I was doing, I walked around the corner into the room. Nobody paid any attention to me at all because I was the department chair at the time. I was in my white coat and my scrubs and so I, it was yeah. natural for me to be there. Nobody paid any attention. The doctor kept running the code, kept giving mm -hmm. uh, orders. And there was one blank spot in the gurney where nobody was crowded around the gurney. And I just kind of walked over and rested my hand gently on her leg uh, because I'd learned that touch was very important in these kind of experiences. Mm. And as I touched her, she silently com communicated to me and she said, is it okay for me to leave? Wow. And my initial thought was, why are you asking me? Right. <laughs> the doctor <laughs> kept giving orders. People kept doing chest compressions. She was still unconscious. This communication was all silent and unknown to anybody else in the room. Yeah. Um, but she'd asked for my help. And I, something came to me from some divine place. And I just silently communicated back to her the words that were given to me. And I said something like, if you think it's the right time for you to go and you feel it's the right thing for you to do, I think it's probably okay. 
and it was her choice, not mine. And, right. Wow. And uh, as I said that, she rose up out of her body and she stood in the air above the gurney, and she filled me with this brilliant light and love. Uh, she she appeared in a human form about I'd estimate half the age of the body she'd just come out of. But it really? Was, but it was so. Oh man! It, there was this flood of knowledge, and I knew who she was. I knew. Even though she looked so much younger, I knew it was her. Yeah. And uh, she just looked around the room. She looked at me. She thanked me profusely for what seemed like nothing from my perspective. Yeah. And then she left. And I turned around, and as I'm walking out of the room, I hear the doctor behind me in military time pronounce her death. And I thought, yeah, I know. I saw her leave. You saw her leave. Wow. And uh, I, I walked out and logged onto the computer, and that's how my day began that day. Wow. Nobody else in the room was aware of it at all. So, I mean, and, and you say this, and this is, I mean, this is amazing. I, 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 I would, I'm trying to picture like what that looked like when you saw her, like you said, half her age as she left the body. You see this, I guess, like this perfect human being at this point. And can you describe that a little bit more? Like what were you... Were you just blown away? What were you feeling in that moment when you're seeing this going, am I, I'm actually witnessing this? <laughs> yeah, the, the word I often like to use is that I experienced her mm. because it's so much bigger than sight. It's okay. so much bigger than hearing. It's, it's more like, it's, it's like you're one with them. It's like you uh, are connected uh, and the feelings uh, so far surpass any words or descriptions. And, and it usually is accompanied by some flood of knowledge and understanding, things that you couldn't have known in any other way, and yet they just flow naturally, uh, and you can just take them in as you, as you wish. Uh, um, the way I think about uh, seeing, because people ask me this a lot, how did you see it? Did you see it with your physical eyes? And it feels like you're seeing with your eyes, but right. nobody else in the room was seeing it, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think of it this way. As a physician, sight is electromagnetic waves traveling through your retina, or I mean through your lens and your cornea, mm -hmm. and focused on your retina, where the cones and rods convert those, ele those yeah. electromagnetic waves into electrical signals that travel down your optic nerve to your occipital cortex, where they're converted into an image. Mm. But when I see spiritually, for lack of a better term, it's as if all of those physical steps are bypassed and I get the pure, unadulterated image, which is bigger, more clear, more powerful. Uh, and and it, it fills your senses uh, beyond capacity. When I, when I, as mm. you mentioned, Jeff Olson was involved in a horrible car crash and uh, it took the life of his wife of 10 years yeah. and his 14-month-old son, Griffin. And he was flown to my trauma center. I'd never met him before, but he was flown to my trauma center from central Utah. When I went in to see him, he was unconscious on the gurney and a bunch of other providers and doctors were taking care of him. And standing above him in the air was his deceased wife, Tamara, whom I'd never met. It wow. was as if the whole room got quiet for me. All the, all the providers were still talking to each other and doing their jobs, right. but for me, everything was quiet except for Tamara expressing her profound gratitude for the care her husband was receiving. 
And I walked over to the gurney and I looked down at Jeff. I think I checked the pulse, checked for a pulse in his foot because he had a badly injured leg. And I remember thinking or saying out loud, oh, he's going to lose the leg. I knew he'd lose his leg. Mm. And uh, as I looked down at Jeff, I could still see Tamara standing in the air behind me because I could see in all directions at the same time. Whoa. And I couldn't see through her, but I could still see what was beyond her. Oh, it was okay. like it was like she was uh, almost a physical being. That is, she had substance. Uh, I couldn't see through her, but she didn't impede my sight of seeing what was beyond her either. Uh, I know it's not something you can comprehend yeah. in the physical form, but right. that was my experience. Wow, that is amazing. So as you have this, I mean, obviously, you know, you and, you know, for our listeners to know, you and Jeff Olson uh, have this great friendship now. And um, and you guys have obviously have come so close together because of these experiences. Obviously, Jeff and his experience, he's been on the podcast. So our listeners should have already listened to Jeff Olson's story. And so this is going to kind of put a, put a cap on all this, which is beautiful. You know, as you have that again, I mean, you walk out of that room What's going through your mind? Are you just going, man? How grateful I am! I had that experience. Are you, are you, are you second guessing yourself? Or, I mean, what's going on in your mind after you had that experience? <laughs> as profound and wonderful as the experience was, uh, and I was always grateful for them because mm-hmm. they were so connecting. It was, it was like stepping back into you know another realm. Yeah. But I took off my shoe covers and my trauma gown and dropped them in the in in the bin and walked out and finished my shift. And I didn't really think about it much at all. I didn't. Mm. I never expected to see Jeff Olson again after we sent him off to the OR. And I went home. I wrote one sentence about it in my journal because I keep a daily journal. I think the sentence was something like it was an impressive experience. And I went to bed and I never expected to see him or experience be with him again. And then a month later, a nurse who had also had a profound experience that day with Jeff Olson mm-hmm. came and grabbed me on the arm. She said, we have to go tell him. I said, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to. Yeah. How's he going to respond to that? She said, we have to tell him. I said, listen, if you want to go share your profoundly spiritual personal experiences with some total stranger, be my guest. But I don't need to do that. But she drugged me kicking and screaming up to his <laughs> hospital room. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, when I shared my experience with him, he disclosed to me that he'd left his body at the scene of the accident before they'd even extricated him from the car. And he'd risen above the scene of the accident and mm-hmm. experienced Tamara's presence. And she said, you have to go back and raise our other son because they had a seven-year-old in the car yeah. that was uninjured. Yeah. And so Jeff and I shared these profoundly personal spiritual experiences. And I had this download that day in his hospital room that we would be friends and that uh, there was a future that we a shared future that we would have wow that is amazing so when you when you have this conversation with them were you were you like even more kind of awestruck because of what he told you did that surprise you did it or you know what I mean? Because you, you don't know what he's going to say. You know, how's he going to react when you tell him what you're going to say, right? Yeah, it surprised <laughs> me a little bit, I suppose, but not dramatically so. Um, you have to understand 
there's this unspoken kinship between people that have these kind of experiences. And it's almost like, oh, I can talk to this person without qualifying everything I say and explaining every, <laughs> trying to explain every feeling mm-hmm. and experience. Yeah. You know, when I tell Jeff, I, when I say to Jeff, I saw Tamara, he knows what I mean. Yeah. I don't have to explain it to him. He doesn't yeah. have to, uh, and he, he's not thinking I'm a crackpot. And, <laughs> and so, right. and in fact, that was one of the things he said about me coming to his hospital room was he thought, oh, this is a physician. If I'm crazy, he'll, he'll tell me. So it was, it was very enabling and empowering for him to hear a medical professional yeah. share such a thing uh, that validated his experience. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, you know, like you said, you just know, you don't have to validate anything or, or clarify. You just know you're connecting and you guys get each other. You know, you know, you're on the same wavelength, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of friends in the near death community that have had experiences. Some of them are very prominent in the community. Your listeners yeah. would know, Yeah, you know, they've published New York times, best-selling books and things. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, after I wrote my book, you know, I didn't speak about my experiences for decades. Yeah, like 20 years, all right. And about six months after I stopped seeing patients in the emergency department, I woke up one day and something just clicked in my soul and I understood that it was okay for me to share. Mm. And that's when I started to share with a very small, select, trusted group of people. And a few months later, I'd published my book. Um, well, several months after that, I got a phone call from a guy named Raymond Moody. Raymond Moody coined the term near-death experience 40 years ago. He's a psychiatrist. Mm. He has, he's an MD, PhD, and and uh, his book, Life After Life, is I think sold 13 million copies. Wow. And he called me up one day and he said, you know, I've always been a skeptical researcher. I've kept an objective uh, uh, view of things, and I never was confident that there was an afterlife despite interviewing all of these near-death experiencers. Yeah, And he said, after I heard you and Jeff Olson's story and read your book, I gave up my skepticism and I, I believe now that there truly is an afterlife. Wow, that says a lot, especially after all the research he had done. So obviously what a profound impact your story and Jeff's had on him. Yeah, it made me feel like, oh, there is value in me choosing to share. And in yeah. fact, when I was going to my very first public speaking engagement to, to talk about this these experiences, Jeff Olson had set it up. We were speaking together just outside of Boston, and I was sitting in the airport with a bag full of books, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my book had just come out. And uh, this young couple came and sat down next to me and started t- talking to me and asking me questions. You know, where are you going? What are you doing? The usual right. airport questions. Yeah. And when it got to the topic of what I was speaking about, <laughs> this young woman, her whole Im- her whole countenance changed. Her whole expression just changed. And she very sincerely kind of quietly said to me, my grandfather just died. And he's come to me a couple of times. Whoa. And we had a conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and I asked her, you know, if he had a message for her and she wasn't quite sure. And I said, next time he comes, ask him what he wants you to know. And she just resonated. She knew that was the right question. And she took one of my books and went and caught her plane. I went and got on my plane. Yeah. And as you said, I'd, I'd estimated I'd seen an excess of 60,000 patients by then. And in the air between Salt Lake and Boston, the, the voice that has spoken to me for so long came to me and said, 
you will help more people with this book than you helped as a physician in the emergency department. And it changed my whole perspective about the next chapter of my life. Boy, I bet it did. Wow. That had to have been exciting, too, at the same time, to, to have that realization. It was. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. Uh, it was a bit intimidating. <laughs> and uh, so that's one of the reasons I share. Yeah. No, I love it. I, you, you basically call yourself a healer. You exist to help souls heal. Talk about that. What does that mean? And, and, and obviously that has to do with you writing this book and you're now out sharing your story. Talk about what that is and then maybe some experiences of where you've, you see people heal. I never thought of myself as a healer. I don't think I actually use that word anywhere in the book because the experience mm -hmm. came to me after it was published. Um, but as a physician, I help people heal their bodies. Yeah. And I had all these spiritual experiences, but mostly as a physician, I viewed myself as helping people heal their physical bodies. Yeah. Then after I wrote my book, people started to come to me and they'd ask me questions and we'd have these long conversations and sometimes they'd share their most intimate personal spiritual experiences with me and they'd get some validation from the fact that I would acknowledge it and say yeah, yeah I believe what you're saying and I'd share some of my own experiences and I saw how that it healed them it validated them yeah it, it empowered them to have more and I was talking with a friend of mine one day about this and he looked at me and he said I think you're a healer Mm. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not a healer. Yeah. And I'd grown up in a Christian tradition, and I believed there was only one healer. Yeah. And, and I pointed to heaven, and when I said it, I said, no, I'm not a healer. There's only one healer. And he looked at me, and he said, I disagree. I think you're a healer, mm. and I think you should ask for permission to use the word. And uh, so I went home. I changed my clothes. I went out for a run because I get good downloads a lot of times when I'm running. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and... Uh, I asked the question, I said, is it okay to call myself a healer? And the divine being that came to me um, on this occasion had a masculine presence and it was somebody I recognized as source. And he said, of course, I made you a healer. And with those few words, I got this download and I understood, oh, He's not diminished by my successes. Yeah. If I'm a really good healer, it doesn't make him less. Man. He's not that insecure. And I got this huge download of understanding right. with just those few words. And I went home that day after my run, and that was the day I put healer on my website and on my business card. Wow. And again, you have this profound experience on this run, right? right. I mean, I, I just picture if that happened, I mean, I'd be like, I don't know, I'd be like doing cartwheels and somersaults or something. I mean, I would be so, because. Um, well, he I, came to me. You know, I'm, I'm having a hard time saying these words. I don't know what to say, but. Yeah. <laughs> he came to me once, you know, I told you about struggling in my book. I talk about struggling to love people the way they should be loved. Mm -hmm. And and I asked about that one day on a run. I was running. Yeah. I said, why is this struggle for me to love people the way they deserve to be loved? And he said, so you can understand people that struggle to love and mm. help them. And I thought, that makes sense. I get that. Why couldn't you have told me that 30 years ago? Right. <laughs> and, right. And, and of course, I wasn't ready to hear it 30 years before. <laughs> but I went home a different person. Yeah. And uh, the, next, the next morning, he came back and he said, 
every experience is to enable you to help someone else. And I said, wait a minute. I thought experiences were for personal growth because sometimes I argue with my voices. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, and, and the, the messenger that was talking to me said, the primary purpose of every experience is to enable you to help someone else. You get the secondary benefit of personal growth. Mm. Gave me a 180 degree frame shift on how I wow. viewed difficult experiences. Wow, I love that. We're all here to help each other. That's the whole point. Yeah. Experiences are to give us empathy. Pain makes us all alike. Pain is the common denominator. Pain makes us all alike, but empathy makes us one. Mm. That's powerful. Because empathy is, you, you've walked in their shoes, you know what it feels like. I understand your pain. I get it. And let me show you what I've done or how I've gone through that. Again, going back and helping. Right. Right. And, and it's very, very important to remember that not everybody comes to their pain and their empathy f through the same pathway. Yeah. Some people it's through the death of a loved one. Some people it's through some health challenge mm -hmm. or, or substance use issue. Uh, some people it comes through a financial difficulty. And it's so critical that we not judge one another's circumstances yeah. Uh, because people get to their empathy in different ways mm. and they're all valid. Yeah. And, and is that, that's really the, the, the crowning moment is you go through this so you can have that empathy. We, you know, be attached to it or connected to it. Is that right? I believe that's right. I believe the whole purpose we're here is to learn to love one another. Um, let me sh let me share an experience I had Please. that will kind of drive this point home. I walked in to see a patient in the ER. Um, he was, I think he was about 40, but he looked about 50. He was a homeless gentleman. He had long hair and an unkept beard. Uh, he had tattered, soiled, torn clothing, and uh, he had holes in his shoes, and he was in rough shape, and he struggled with substance use. Um uh, I saw the holes in his shoes and it was winter time. He'd been walking in the snow, so I knew what needed to happen. He knew yeah. what needed to happen. Yeah. I filled a wash basin with some warm water. I squirted some soap in it and I sat down at the foot of the gurney with a wash rag. And I took off his shoes. I removed the last threads of his socks and I proceeded to wash his feet. Mm. And something profound happened. Everything that was physical or temporal or mortal was drawn aside. It was like that veil that enabled me to see Tamara or enabled me to see that woman leave her body. It was like that veil was drawn back and he was still in his body, but I saw his soul. I saw who he was. Yeah. And I knew and I understood I was in the presence of the divine. Wow. I was in the presence of God. Mm. I went into that room thinking that I was going to serve him. And I realized quickly that he was there ministering to me. He was the yeah. antithesis of everything the world defined as success. And yet he was divine and he was teaching me that I was divine. And I viewed every soul since that day differently because I realized that's who we all are. We're always sitting next to God, whether we're sitting in the pews at church or in the gutter. That's who the person next to us is. That's who we are. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, and, and 
what we're here for is to help each other. I, I asked this question once about what are we here for? And I didn't want the the adolescent Sunday school answer. Right. right? Yeah. I'd heard plenty of those. Sure. <laughs> I said, why are we here? And the voice that spoke to me that day said, it's easy to love when you see people's divinity. You're here to learn to love without seeing their divinity when you can't see it, mm. including yourself. Yeah. And yeah, that is difficult. Yeah. I write in the book, I think that uh, the hardest place to see God is in the mirror. Yeah. Boy, that that is so true. Again, just my own experience, I've been there and then seeing clients who they are so hard on themselves. You know, they can even say, oh, I love other people, but they can't love themselves. They hate themselves. And that that to me is one of the most tragic things I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, I, I was I was in meditation one day and a voice spoke to me and said, you're here to love yourself as you are. And I thought, no, 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 this can't be. This contradicts <laughs> everything I've been taught my whole life. Right, yeah. right? We're here to progress, to learn, to be better, to do that, da, 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 to accomplish, to overcome. Mm -hmm. and, and the voice said, no, no, no. You're not here to overcome weakness. You're here to love yourself as you are. And I was taken to some scriptural passages, you know, that talk about loving ourselves, love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it's yeah. in the Torah. It's in the New, in the New Testament. And... Uh, mm -hmm. And Spirit explained to me, the only way you can love yourself today, the only way you can honor this admonition today is to love yourself as you are. You can love next week's version of you next week, but that version of you doesn't exist today. The only way you can honor this uh, inv invitation today is to love yourself as you are. It's not a rationalization. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and it's like Jeff in his story when he came and shared it here at Wasatch he he said he said exactly what you're saying he's like the message is love he goes he goes I know it sounds even cliche and it's sometimes even like kind of cheesy a little bit but he was like no it really is it it comes down to love yeah when Jeff was in the presence of the divine he was only asked one question to what degree did you learn to love yeah my goodness and I agree with Jeff, and I've said it too. It sounds cliche. People think it's too simple. It can't be. Yeah. That can't be the answer because it's just too simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if anyone listening to this right now, think of a time when you've actually really went out of your way to make someone's day or to help someone, and you saw their reaction. Tell me, I mean, how does that feel? There's nothing more powerful than that. That love, that feeling of love. I know I'm sitting here because someone showed that love to me. I really, I wouldn't be here had I not had that back when I was in my battles and struggles. I mean, I still have battles and struggles, but where it basically almost took my life, it was love. When I look back on it, it was absolute love. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know? You know, I've told you how I struggled sometimes to love people and to express it. And I frequently begin my day asking the question, what should I do today? And if I really want to get pointed about it, I'll say, what should I, what can I do today to serve someone else? Mm -hmm. Which is a profoundly powerful question. And yeah. I always get an answer. And on this one occasion, I ask, what should I do today? And the message came, tell your wife you love her. 
Yeah. And, and it just so happened on that specific day that that was exactly what my wife needed to hear. That wouldn't be any big deal for most people. Most people probably say that multiple times a day to their spouse. Right. Uh, but for me, it was a struggle. And, and I honored the direction I received, and it was the exact message that she needed that day. And I was glad that I honored it. Yeah. If you want to have a spiritual experience, people come to me, sometimes they think they've never had a spiritual experience. And they ask me, how can I have a spiritual experience? And that's what I tell them. When you get centered in the morning, whether you meditate or pray or exercise, whatever you do, ask this question, what should I do today? And if you want to ask a more pointed question, say, what can I do today to serve someone else? That's such a powerful question. And you'll, you'll get an image in your mind. You'll get a thought. You'll get, you'll get direction. And, and if you honor the direction, if you write it down and then follow through on it and do it, at the end of the day, you can say, oh, that wasn't a coincidence. Yeah. That was an answer to my question. Wow. I received a spiritual communication. Yeah. And the next yeah. day when you do it again, it comes a little bit easier. Mm. And as you do it for a month, you start to realize that, oh, I'm living a more spirit-driven life. Yeah. I'm more connected. I'm more mindful. I'm more aware that those things that I thought are, were coincidence or happenstance, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've sent a text message to somebody and they respond with, oh, I was just thinking about you. Yeah. Or I needed that. Yeah. Thanks for thinking of me. And, you know, I love what you said. You said you can have the, the, the prompting or, you know, the nudge to do it. But you said follow through. You have to follow I through. I think a lot of times, and I'm guilty of it, where I'll have this impression, hey, I should call so-and-so. Or I should maybe go do this. And then I'll be like, well, I'm too busy. Yeah. Right? And then, and then it actually leaves my mind. I forget about it. I mean, so I love what you said, Jeff, is that we should follow, we have to follow through in order to experience it, obviously. Yeah, and I talk about in my book about how important it was for me when I started to write things down mm -hmm. and how powerfully that opened up a, a, a communication when I cared enough to actually write it down and follow through with it. Yeah. And that made a huge difference for me. I was studying one morning, studying some ancient texts, and a voice spoke to me and said, go see David. I, I knew who David was. I knew mm -hmm. exactly what the message was. Right. And, I, mm -hmm. and I said, okay, yeah, I will. And I went back to my studies. A few minutes later, the voice came again and said, go see David. And I said, yeah, yeah, I will. And I went back to my <laughs> studies, right? <laughs> and the third time, the voice came and said, go now. And I thought... All right, already. You could have said that in the first place. It would have saved us both a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. But I got up. I got dressed. I went out the door. I, I went to David's where he. I knew he'd be. I walked in. Uh, his secretary was sitting at a desk, his door. And just as I walked up to her desk, uh, his uh, office door opened. And he came walking out with an overcoat on. And he was literally just leaving his office. If I would have been 30 seconds later, I'd have missed him. Yeah. And he looked up and he saw me and he, he knew I had something for him. Yeah. And we stepped back into his office. We sat down. We had the conversation that I was sent there to have. It was a powerful, meaningful thing for him. And if I'd have ignored that voice and waited just another minute, uh, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. The opportunity would have been lost. Wow. That is powerful. And I, and I just think that's a really beautiful message. I, I love that. You know, ask yourself a question every morning. 
what should I do to serve someone else today? What should, what what is it? Yes, right? but but I offer it with this caveat. Okay. And some of your listeners will really resonate with this, especially in my experience, women particularly. Some people are already serving. They're already serving others to their own detriment. They're giving so much away of themselves that they're not uh, honoring the need for self-care. And so if you ask that question, what can I do today to serve someone else? Be cautious that, that you don't diminish your own value by thinking you can only be connected by serving others. So that's why I say sometimes, sometimes the question is, what should I do today? Yeah. And I asked that question once, uh, on one occasion and the voice said, enjoy this day, which I have given you. And it was about self care. Yeah. It was, it was, it was source saying, take care of yourself today. That's valuable too. Yeah. Great advice, and I think we do need to hear that because you're right. There's so many people who serve so much that they it's detrimental to them. They're not taking care of themselves, right? I always like the phrase, you can't lift someone to higher ground unless you're standing there yourself. So do what you need to do to make sure you're solid and you're connected and you're, you know, you've done your work, and now you can serve without it draining you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I love that. It's great advice. Um if there's someone listening to your story right now who's struggling, and I know you meet with a lot of people who are probably, you know, that are struggling and they're trying to find a spiritual connection or they're just trying to figure out why am I even here? I, I know there's people listening right now who are in a dark spot right now and they're not sure how to get out of it. What advice could you give them, Jeff? Contrary to the multi-billion dollar self-help industry messaging. You are not what you do. You are not the sum total of your actions. You are what you are. And what you do flows out of that. Mm. And what you are is you're a divine being of infinite, eternal, unchanging worth. Your worth does not change. Love that. Divine love is unconditional. And no matter what you do, you are not loved less. And so if we believe this, this lie that you are what you do, then when something goes wrong and we don't do what we think we should, it doesn't turn out the way we'd hope, yeah. uh, we're prone to think that we failed and that we're a failure. Yeah. That's not true. Think of it this way. I made a decision. It didn't turn out the way I hoped. I'm going to make a different decision next time, but it doesn't change my worth. Yeah. I'm not a failure. I learned something from the experience. Um, and as long as I learn from an experience, the experience is not a failure. And knowing that I am what I am, that I'm a divine being of infinite, eternal, unchanging worth, it gives me the power to make decisions from a position of knowing who I am and knowing that my worth doesn't change, even if I have an ill-advised adventure that goes, <laughs> goes awry. Yeah. Uh, we, we have too much of the world have turned divine love into a merit system. Yeah. As if you earn it. Yeah. And when you realize that you don't earn it, you stop being so arrogant as to think that you could. Wow. That's powerful. 
so I was getting ready to speak to a large group once and I asked, I said, what is the message? What should I say? And uh, on this occasion, the messenger came to me and said, tell them they're enough. Tell them they're divine. Tell them they're loved. That was the message. Yeah. And I was chatting with a friend of mine a little while after that, and he's a very successful international public speaker. And he started talking to me about knowing your audience and adjusting your message to your audience and all of these other things that he had mm -hmm. honed over the years and refined. And, and I was thinking about what he said a couple of days later. And I remember asking myself, how do I, how do I refine the message? And the voice that had spoken to me, that had given me the message, came back to me and said, I gave you the message. I'll bring you the audience. Whoa. And it was a good, it was a good ego check. Yeah, right? for sure. Man, um, <laughs> love that. So, so much. I, I love your quote that you have on your wall here in your office. The most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize there is nothing wrong with you. I teach clients that all the time. Mm. You are a divine soul of infinite, eternal, unchanging worth. Yeah. And you are perfect as you are right now in this moment. You can learn new things tomorrow. Right. That doesn't negate your perfection today. Hmm. Love that. Very powerful message. I mean, how, how good does that feel when you share that message to someone who you know is struggling and they get it? They, it clicks. They, you know you connected with them. Yeah, it totally empowers them. They realize that, that they came here already perfect. And it totally changes their perspective on life because they're not any longer laboring to earn something or to yeah. become something. Rather, they're laboring in gratitude to help other people realize who they already are. Mm. Totally changes yeah. your whole mission in life. Wow. Wow. And, and how desperately this world needs that message, right? And one of the important things about realizing that you're already perfect is realizing that even the difficult things in my life, even the hard things, the unpleasant things, the challenges, they made me who I am. Mm -hmm. They taught me something and they empowered me to be able to help others. Yeah. Every experience is to enable you to help someone else. And so... One of the things that we do to our children, which is uh, really detrimental, is, is we give them this inadvertent message that, hey, if you do everything right, if you make the right decisions, if you honor your religious tradition, mm -hmm. uh, and, and life will be good. Life will be easy. You'll marry the right person. You'll right. financially do well. Your health will be good. You'll live in a nice house on the, on, on the mountain. Yeah. And, and we don't mean to do it, but that's what we do often. Mm -hmm. And here's the problem. When they meet rough times, they feel like they've been lied to. They feel like God has betrayed them. And it's a huge faith crisis. Yeah. What we should be teaching people is the mists of darkness are on the path. If you're holding on to truth and you're pressing forward toward the ultimate goal, 
You have to go through the darkness to get there because the darkness is on the path. The darkness plays a role in our life. The darkness is to teach us things as well as the light. And so when, when you hit the rough times in your life, you don't ask the question, why me? You ask the question, what can I learn from this experience and how can I use it to help someone else? Yeah. Beautifully said. Wow. And I, th- that's great advice too, because I think that does happen, you know, and boy, how much pain and anguish would be alleviated just by teaching that. Yeah. Right? One of the common, one of the common examples I have is, uh, I have clients, for example, who are divorced and it's very common for me to have uh, female clients who are divorced, who feel like that was a huge failure in their life. Hmm that that was a yeah. horrible thing for them. They wished that, you know, it never happened and da, da, da. they go on and on about it. And then I kind of stop them and I say, let me give you a different way to think about this. Okay. Yeah. And then I ask them, um, cause they, they usually have children yeah. from that sure. marriage. And I ask them knowing what you know now, knowing how hard it would be and how difficult and miserable and everything that it would be. If you had to do it all over again to get your children, would you do it? And they invariably say, yes, of course. Yeah. And I'll say, (laughs) well, then don't ever talk about it again as being a bad thing. Talk about it as a difficult experience. Talk about it as a learning experience. Talk about it as a profound blessing in your life that taught you many things and brought your children into your life. Yeah. Perspective there. Perspective. Yeah. The power of the story we tell ourselves. It's amazing. That's always fascinating me too. And I love that. I'm, I'm going to steal that from you because I got a lot of clients that need to hear that. <laughs> yeah, take anything. That's why I share. I know. I, 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 was, uh, I was really struggling one time. Somebody was pressing me to share more. And I was really struggling with it. And I heard my timid voice in my mind say, but what if my message isn't good enough? And then the voice I recognized came and said, it's not your message. And I thought, oh, okay, I got it. Another ego check, right? Yeah, big ego check. (laughs) And so a few weeks later, spirit woke me in the middle of the night. And I couldn't go back to sleep for an hour or two. And I finally asked, I said, why did you wake me up? And the messenger said, I've been giving you messages. Why aren't you sharing them? And it was Mm. just, it was the epitome of what I'd been taught. Experiences are to enable you to help somebody else. Nobody's waiting in line to tell your story. Right. Your story is your story. And there's parts of it that are for you. And there's parts of it that you have to enable you to help others. Yeah. And so that's when I started my blog posts on my website. Yeah. was after that experience. And so there's, that was just a few months ago. Uh, There's probably 60 or 70 blog posts now on my website. They're just really short uh, things that people can read in a minute or two. Okay. And and get a powerful message from. Yeah, love it. It's beautiful. You know, I I want to share one little comment on that, and then I want I want to ask you one more question. You know, I I had a guy on my podcast. His name's Chad Foster, and he went blind when he was in his teenage years from a rare um, eye disease, and um, anyway, lost his eyesight. But he he started telling himself. He said I could tell myself all these different kind of stories, but he goes the story that I luckily landed on and I decided this is the story is I'm the one of the very few people who could go blind because I'm strong enough 
and powerful enough to overcome it and help other people. And then I asked him, why is helping other people so important to you? And I love what he said. He goes, it makes going blind worth it. Yes, I had that very experience. I went through, as you know, reading the book. There's a chapter in the book where I talk about the most horrendous, difficult five years in my life. And as I was starting to come out of it, it's too long to tell here. People can read it in the book if they want. But as I was coming out of it um, is when I met Jeff Olson. And after we had our first real substantive conversation, I, I went to his brother's house. He wasn't well enough to go home. He got out of the hospital, but he went to his brother's house for a while. And I didn't know this until years later, but he said he trusted me when I came to his brother's house because I was wearing jeans and cowboy boots and a bull riding belt buckle. <laughs> and he'd been a bronc rider. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> so we had this really meaningful conversation. I went home and I wrote my journal that night for the very first time that I was grateful for the years in the darkness because I knew the answers to his questions and I knew how to help him. And that was that was the first time I was grateful for that really, really difficult, Man. painful experience because yeah. it enabled me to help him. Yeah. And then I saw the value in it and I was grateful for it. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. That is amazing. Well, you know, I I know we could we could spend six hours talking today. I would love to. Um but but a lot of these other things are in your book. You've got a website. Uh, what would be the best way for people to reach out to you who want to know more, who they want to get a, a copy of your book and read your blog and all that stuff? What's the best way for them to do that? My website is jeffodriscoll.com. And if you don't want to spell my name, <laughs> it's uh, helpingsoulsheal.com. That's oh. my website. Um, they can get my books on the website. In addition to this memoir, there's a novel I wrote on there that's pretty gritty novel. Starts out pretty gritty, but it's really mm-hmm. a redemption story. It's a guy's spiritual journey. Mm. Um, and then there's my children's books are on yeah, there. Yeah, I saw that you got a children's book. Going I wrote on. a series that's of awesome. children's books. The novel and the memoir are both available on Amazon internationally. Um, uh, the children's books are only available domestically. Okay. I, I don't ship those internationally because I ship them from my house, and the shipping's prohibitively expensive to go internationally. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, people can find me on the website. They can reach out to me through the website. Uh, they can order the books there. If you get the children's books, get them off my website, not Amazon, because I had to increase the price on Amazon to cover all their fees. Yeah, there are a lot of fees on Amazon. Yeah, so just <laughs> if you want the children's books, just order them off my okay. website. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and I welcome people communication from people if they've read my book and they they have mm-hmm. questions or comments they want to reach yeah. out to me I, I welcome that um, on social media as well facebook and instagram yeah awesome well i can't thank you enough to spend some time today sharing these remarkable experiences that you've had but more importantly the beautiful message you have for all of us thank you thank for you being for willing to come share yeah absolutely I, I mean i get emotional about these kind of things because I just, I look at how, you know, Jeff came into my life, Jeff Olson, and now you, and just the the message. I'll tell you, for me personally, I need to hear these things. It's really been helpful for me personally. And I'm sure those who are listening to this um, are feeling the same way because I think that message is so needed right now. I mean, it's always been needed, but I think for right, it seems more like more so now today. Yeah. The power of your message is in your experience. Yeah. And the, the, 
the way you change hearts is to be vulnerable and authentic in sharing mm -hmm. your message. Yeah. And when people hear you be authentic and vulnerable, they say in their heart, oh, he gets it. Yeah. He's been there. He knows. I can trust him. Yep. So even the darkest, most difficult times in your life have great value to enable you to help other people who are where you once were. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Well, you're very real and authentic, Jeff, and I'm grateful to be able to sit here face to face and, you know, feel the presence of you and the love that you have for everyone and myself included. I can't thank you enough, and I'm grateful for your example, and I just feel blessed that I've had this opportunity. Honored to be with you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Well, there you go, folks. I told you another amazing person with a great story, and more importantly, he, he practices what he preaches and I would just recommend you reach out to him, get his book. His book's fasc fascinating. You know, he, he's got YouTube videos and his blog and all that stuff. Get, get to know him. And I promise you, you'll feel profoundly inspired that you are of, of divine worth. Your value does not fluctuate. That's one of the biggest messages I heard today. Your value does not go up and down. It's always the same. And it's amazing. It's divine. It's perfection and all that stuff. And so please reach out to him. I love you guys. Jeff, once again, you're the best. Thank you for your time. And, and I can't wait uh, for people to hear this. And so tune in next time and love you guys.